1: Tom Mullen Talks Freedom.
0: Hello everyone and welcome back to Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. Today my guest is Scott Horton. Scott is the director of the Libertarian Institute, editorial director of antiwar.com and host of Antiwar Radio on Pacifica 90.7 FM, KPFK in Los Angeles, California. And he also hosts the Scott Horton Show podcast, where he's conducted more than 5,500 interviews since 2003. Scott is the author of several books, including Fool's Aaron, Time to End the War in Afghanistan, Enough Already, Time to End the War on Terrorism, and The Great Ron Paul, the Scott Horton Show Interviews 2004-2019. to 2019. Today, he's here to help us make some sense out of what's going on in Ukraine. Scott, so glad to have you back. Welcome to the show.
1: Hi, thanks for having me. How are you doing?
0: Great. It's great to have you back. One of the things about what's going on on the foreign policy stage is we can't trust anybody. And I think the last time you were here, either the invasion had just started or it was just about to start. And... What we heard early on, and for several weeks after the end of February, was, all right, we're sending weapons to Ukraine, they're winning the war, Russia's economically crippled, and this is all going to have a very happy ending. Now, things are a little different today. Can you give us an idea, using your superior DC BS filter, what's happening in Ukraine Where does the war stand, and is Russia about to lose steam, as the headlines say today?
1: Well, you know, these are all very good questions. I think it's pretty obvious that the propaganda that you're talking about has proven now to not be true. In fact, as Colonel Douglas McGregor said about this question, I forget if it was to me or to Dave Smith, he said, listen, time wins more arguments than reason, (laughs) and so That's what we've learned here, right, is that, yeah, 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 you and all your claims, but we'll see what happens here. And so on one hand, yeah, it is true. And I think, you know, all sides can recognize it's essentially undeniable, right, that in the beginning, the idea, everybody thought that the Russians were just going to steamroll right over the Ukrainian military that's sending their heavy bombers and blitzkrieg their bases and positions and then they roll the question was whether they're going to take just the Donbass, or are they going to take all of the land east of the Dnieper River, or are they going to take the whole damn country, but certainly they're going to smash the military into pieces, and then we'll be backing an insurgency, and that was even what the American hawks were planning from the beginning and bragging to the New York Times that we'll do like we did in Afghanistan. We'll back this insurgency against the Russians. Well, they've had a hell of a time. And I think part of it is bad tactics. And maybe, you know, as you understand, well, war is a government program, not just in America, but wherever you go. And so they seem to have made some mistakes. You know, there's a big quarrel about whether when they sent that big convoy toward Kiev, whether that was just a feint or not. And, The Hawks say, yeah, no, they were going to try to sack the capital city, but they got their asses handed to them. So they had to retreat. And like apparently they did get one major troop transport shot down, something like that. That may have had an effect on that. But then there are others who say, no, that was always a feint just to keep Ukrainian forces divided so that the forces who were already in the north would not be dispatched to the south to fight, which was the original like or not the original, but at least according to this story. One of the major original goals was creating that so-called land bridge from the southern part of the Donbass to the Crimean Peninsula to connect that territory together. And so, in effect, that's what happened. Then the question was, why do they do that? And But see, the Hawks always have said, they've always assumed in all of their arguments that the Russians had the most maximalist goals. So then anything that the Russians do short of that is said to be their abject failure. You know, I remember going on um, Fox News and one of the other expert guests on there was saying, yeah, the military promised Putin that they'd be in Kiev in two days and they'd be drinking blood out of Zelensky's skull and all this. Oh yeah, well, was that on the front page of Pravda or where did you get that? The CIA said that to someone who said that to the Washington Post or something. That's the most unbelievable garbage ever. But on the other hand, They did seem to invade from like 17 directions at once and really lose momentum in 17 places at once and have to sort of stop and pull back and start over. And here we're halfway through June and there's been heavy fighting all these many months and they still don't control all of the Donbass. Although Colonel McGregor said to me, hey, don't be mistaken. Oh, I asked him about Harki. This is an important city in the east. I forget now if it's Inside the Luhansk province. I think it's just outside the Luhansk province, adjacent to Luhansk in the northeast of the country. And they the Russians controlled it and then they withdrew. And I said, Well, geez, this is being spun in the media, like, oh, the Russians are getting their ass handed to them in Kharkiv. What about that? And McGregor says, Well, listen, they're not fighting just for territory now. They're fighting against the Ukrainian army, and they're doing everything they can to destroy it. And then drawing new lines wherever they draw them will come later but the point is now is they're fighting a war so if it makes sense to do a strategic retreat from a city so you can come at some guys from another angle that doesn't necessarily mean you're in a position of weakness at all it might but what's happening here is essentially the russians are grinding the ukrainians into the ground with artillery with such a carpet bombing but not with b52s carpet bombing with artillery just grinding them and moving a little bit at a time and based on the theory that there's more Russians with more artillery shells than there are Ukrainians on the other side. And then you can tell that the Americans like to really hype up the effect of their weapons too. Oh, we sent in these switchblade drones and whatever, which is like, eh, basically a flying hand grenade, which is somewhat effective against some targets, but Then the other reports say now the Russian electronic jamming has figured out how to completely overmatch all of the drone technology that's been deployed against their guys and this and that. So who knows? I mean, a lot of it is a cat and mouse game. And a lot of the the claims that have come out of the war on both sides are somewhat unbelievable, right? Like you can sort of take them all with a grain of salt. And hopefully if you keep up with enough You get a feel for what really is true and what really is not, you know, overall, what seems like plausible takes. But I'm sure there's more propaganda. You see atrocities, but you don't really know who's who in the picture. You know who the person who posted the video says is wounding which war prisoner or whatever it is. But a lot of times it's very difficult to tell. So like when it comes to those kinds of minutia, I try to to zoom all the way out and leave those kinds of claims to others but just looking at things i mean the russians control this very important city to the northwest of the crimean peninsula which one is that person just just northwest and you know by my eye not that i know the full history of it but it looks like you know from what i googled up it's a pretty important city it looks sort of like the new orleans of the dnieper river here like the last major city At the south end, the last major port city at the south end of this major river that bisects Ukraine. And so from there, if you look closely at the map, you can see that there from Kherson, it's just two small towns, I believe, between Kherson and Odessa, which is the all important jewel of the Black Sea there. The massive, you know, port city and extremely important economic city. Which is, you know, ethnically, or I don't know, at least it's always been a Russian speaking city or for a very long time has been. And, but it wouldn't be easy to take for the Russians. It's got, you know, all tunnels underneath, catacombs underneath the city in a, you know, pretty unprecedented fashion. So it's the perfect place to wage an insurgency against an occupying army. It'd be a hell of a lot to bite off and chew. But then if you see there, the shape of that southern coast, you can see from Kherson to Odessa to Moldova is just a hop, a skip, and a jump right there, and you're there. So the logic of a government program expanding there is, geez, if we can see Odessa from here, and we could see Moldova from there, it might as well keep going, leaving Ukraine nothing but a landlocked sort of mini-state. And then you can see also the the built-in justification for doing that, is there's this little breakaway strip of land on the moldovan side of the moldovan ukrainian border called transnistria or Transdniester, however you say it's different pronounced and spelled in different ways but it's this little strip of land that's not officially a russian territory but it's loyal to russia and is here on the far side of ukraine on the moldovan border and so then the idea is well, oh we're a protection force here for russian speakers We've come this far now we have to protect the people of Transnistria. And so I think it's likely that eventually the Russians will go that far. And I don't think that the Ukrainians will be able to stop them. I think really the question is a matter of time and maybe a question of politics. In other words, here's a Douglas McGregor prediction that I would like very much to come true very soon. The Germans aren't going to stand for this any longer. This much violence this close to their borders, this many refugees, this much destabilization, this much risk of escalation with the Russian Federation. It's just not worth it. And how long are they expected to tolerate this, especially when you're talking about, you know, energy supplies being cut off and all of this sort of stuff. So that's my hope is for an immediate ceasefire and negotiations to begin. And if the Americans can't negotiate in good faith, then just let the Germans negotiate on our behalf, as Angela Merkel did during Minsk too. Good enough for us. They're our close allies. Let them handle it and and hammer out an agreement with the Russians. Let the Americans come home.
0: So I wanted to dig into one thing you said, and for people listening in their car, you'll have to wait to get to the show notes page, and I'll have a link to a map of Ukraine, but. The Far East, these two breakaway republics, as they've been called, Luhansk and Donetsk, I think everybody, Russian, D.C., Ukrainian government, confirms that the Luhansk province, which is kind of the farthest east and north, that is under the full control of the Russians. They're still fighting in Donetsk. And then more specifically, these cities you mentioned, as you go along the bottom of Ukraine. I think the Russians have Mariupol and Kherson. Do you think that they want to cut Ukraine off completely from the Black Sea? Or is that kind of a way out of this to say, look, we've come this far, we're going to allow you to still have this port of Odessa if we can make a deal? Is there anything that reasonable on the table or no?
1: I mean, get out your flex capacitor and rewind this thing and try to avoid (laughs) this war in the first place, right? Because now look at the position that they're in. You know, this is, I did this debate. People can look this up at Reason Magazine's website. I debated Kathy Young about whether we should be intervening in this war. She says, oh, it's a very popular war. The people love it. And I wish I had countered that. Yeah, well, the president of Ukraine wanted to deal. And Boris Johnson, the prime minister of the UK, went and intervened and made them not negotiate. So... If he's the legitimate democratically elected president, you know, forget the opinion polls. He wanted to cut a deal. And it was the Americans who intervened, not the people of Ukraine who intervened to stop him from cutting a deal. And then the question is, you get stand on principle right with your fists on your hips and just say, damn, these Russians, we're not going to appease them and give them anything. When you can stand there with your fists on your hips as they push further and further and further and further west. And now here we are in the summertime. And you're asking me, are they gonna go all the way to Transnistria or not? When the question before was, can we get a real peace deal in the Donbass? Or the question before was, can we get them to stop, you know, at Mariupol and the land bridge to Crimea? And 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 before that, the, you know, again, like I was saying, the peace deal, can we just get them to implement the peace deal and stop the war in the east? And so now we're getting into the backstory here. We sort of started. Like a Star Wars movie right in the middle here. But you know, the backstory is the war in the East has been going on since 2014. And it's the direct aftermath of Barack Obama's regime change in Kiev, an illegal coup d'etat that was spearheaded by a bunch of Hitler-loving Nazis, the proud descendants of the Galatian SS from World War II, who helped perpetrate the Holocaust then. And you know, you talk about tiki torch parades. These kids in their Donald Trump outfits with polos and khakis at the University of Virginia. These guys, when they do their torch parade at night, they're not tiki torches. These guys are real Nazis, real scary essay types. And they're the ones who overthrew the government for the Americans in 2014. And they've been, you know, these various Nazi militias have been at the spearhead of the Ukrainian military effort against the breakaway provinces in the far east of the country who were the people who'd had their elected president overthrown. And as soon as they refused to go along with the new order in 2014, the government attacked them and sent a bunch of Nazis as the vanguard of the assault against them. And that's just the true history of it. They try to deny and say that's Russian propaganda. The problem is you can read it in the voice of America. You can read it which is, you know, for people who don't know, that's U.S. government media of in Europe, Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty. You can read it in the BBC. You can read it in Welt and Zeit in Germany. You can read it in the French press, Agents France press and France 24, whatever. You can read it in the Washington Post, the New York Times, and the Wall Street Journal at various times that, yes, there are very, very, very right wing forces among the groups that we are supporting in Ukraine against the Russians and including white supremacists from America and from around Europe who've traveled there to fight with these guys against the Russian enemy over the years leading up to this war. So, but now, so to the Russian war, cause I'm not sitting here trying to justify what the Russians have done to you or to your audience here. I'm totally against what they've done. And it's true that the war had already been going on, but it's also true that, yeah, only kind of, not compared to what they did, rolling their full military in and invading the country the way that they did. It's still an illegal, aggressive war and an immoral war by my light. But for practical purposes here, it's a government program. And look at the mess that Putin has got them in from that point of view, right? Not to take the hawk side, but just take, to take, say, a Russian citizen side here, a Russian libertarian side, maybe, and their point of view here. I did
0: see your debate with Kathy Young, and I thought you handled this question well. And for anybody who hadn't seen that, you acknowledged that this war was not unprovoked. And as you just said, we overthrew their government, put in a puppet, encouraged the puppet to bomb these Eastern provinces that are all ethnic Russians who speak Russian. But you also said the war is unjustified how can those two things both be true
1: well so let's say that the mexicans are the mexican government is persecuting american mexican american hyphen mexican mormons who have moved down to mexico or something like that and it's persecuting them does that justify america doing a full-scale invasion of mexico Like maybe, but probably there are other things that can be done short of that.
0: Right. Well, as a devil's advocate, let me push it a little further and say, well, it wasn't just that they were persecuting Russians. They were being armed. They were a proxy member of NATO. And at some point there were going to be possibly nuclear missiles in Ukraine, NATO nuclear missiles that were a threat to Russia's security, what could they have done besides invade and nip this in the bud before the missiles were there?
1: Well, I mean, that was certainly their claim that they were worried about that. I don't know if they really had a real reason to worry about that. But then again, the Americans did nothing but break all their promises previously about where they were going to install, which kind of missiles and what. So, you know, it was somewhat of a legitimate concern. I I will say this to make myself real clear about this. If you put the shoe on the other... And the Russians had overthrown the government of Canada. And then they were threatening to kick us out of our naval bases in Alaska. And then they launched a war against the people of Vancouver, British Columbia, who refused to accept the new junta. America would at the very least invade Canada and probably launch a nuclear war against Russia. For daring to even believe for a moment that they could trespass so close to our security on our northern border that way. Yet our government acts like the Russians better just sit there and take it, and this guy Putin is the worst psychopath on the planet since I don't know Saddam or Gaddafi or Assad or Hitler, (laughs) right? David Koresh, whoever really (laughs) terrifies you, he's the worst psychopath on the planet. But unlike the you know angels of the United States foreign policy establishment, he can be expected to just sit there and absorb this endlessly with endless patience because as the bully on the playground would say what's he going to do about it right and the answer is well he actually does have options and he can't fight back and luckily he hasn't launched a nuclear war against us but he did invade Ukraine
0: let's take a short break for this important message friends if you're enjoying the content here at Tom Mullen Talks Freedom you can support my efforts a couple of ways by going to dot com slash support. You can join my Patreon for as little as $3 per month and get machine transcripts of every episode as well as access to my members-only Miwi group or become an all-access patron and get my paid subscriber-only articles and videos. You can even become a VIP patron to get all of that plus a free copy of the Tom Mullen book of your choice. Now, if you prefer Substack, I also post my paid subscriber-only content there, and you can find links to all of the above at tommullentalksfreedom.com slash support. That's tommullentalksfreedom.com slash support. Become a supporter of Tom Mullen Talks Freedom today. And now let's get back to our episode.
1: So forget normative, but let's just be descriptive here for a minute. Is this what happens? Yeah, this is what happens, right? John Mearsheimer from the University of Chicago in 2014 gave a speech, and I interviewed him on the show. He wrote an article for Foreign Affairs all about this, and I interviewed him about it, and he gave a speech. He said, America's leading Ukraine down the primrose path, and they're going to get wrecked. We're promising that we're going to support them, And we're going to lie with them and we're really going to give them a war guarantee. But no, we're not. We're going to give them just enough of one to get them attacked. And then when they get attacked, we're going to be like, hey, because what are we going to do? We're going to go to nuclear war with Russia over Ukraine. No, we're just let's you and him fight. That's all we're doing here. As you know, as as many people have paraphrased it, America's fighting Russia to the last Ukrainian. They're not even embarrassed to say it that way. That makes them the most horrible, cynical, evil people on the planet, that they would do such a thing. But they brag about it. Yeah, no, we'll like replicate Afghanistan. We'll do our secretary of state and our secretary of defense, not their deputies, not some anonymous official in the New York Times, but our principals, our secretary of state and defense have said, yeah, we're doing this to try to wreck Russia. We're going to prolong the war as long as we can to weaken them, to bankrupt them and as some anonymous sources, but very high level ones have admitted in the press because they want to see the Russian regime so weak and that it falls and that Putin is overthrown, which is playing with the fire, the likes of which the world's never seen in anger, man. Remember the, the nuclear bomb they dropped on Nagasaki. That's the blasting cap to set off a modern thermonuclear weapon. Okay. You don't, you don't, poke that bear in that way. It's just crazy. It'd be literally, remember the the hysteria over the absolutely fake Russia hoax that they had somehow rigged our election for Donald Trump. I mean, just imagine if they really were waging some kind of crazy proxy war against us in Canada and were constantly openly threatening regime change in Washington, D.C. They have never dared in the history of the whole Soviet Union Right. Even that whole thing about we will bury you. People always conflate that with banging the shoe. That was a different event. And we will bury you. All that meant was we'll see you at your funeral. We'll still be alive. We'll outlast you.
0: Yeah. Communism was going to be a better system.
1: That's right. Yeah. That's all they meant. They didn't, he didn't say, I'm going to murder you. He said, I'm going to outlive you, which is dumb and wrong, but it wasn't (laughs) a threat of premeditated homicide, right? But that was just the way that we took it. So anyway. Now back to the situation at hand here.
0: Well, before you get to that, the one other thing you mentioned in the Kathy Young debate that I thought, how did I not think of this? Well, that's why we have Scott Horton is he could have done the sanctions. He could have turned off the gas to Europe, to Germany before he went to war. Now he still hasn't done that. So why not do that first before you go to war? He seems like a level-headed guy. What's gotten
1: into him? Well, look, I mean, he's the most dangerous psychopath in world history, right? (laughs) I mean, what, look, you know, I gotta say, he's been a very cool customer for a very long time. Our foreign policy establishment goes, oh, I think he's got a mental illness now. Oh, he's crazy and all this stuff. That's not what it is. But if you watch the videos of his declaration of war from February 22nd and 24th, there, he's pretty angry. Now, that doesn't mean what he's saying is irrational. It's not irrational. He's reading a speech. It's very well written. It says exactly what he told the speechwriter to write in it. And it's full of all of these substantive claims. But he's certainly mad as hell that he's been, you know, deliberately insulted this way, which is part of it. It is all absolutely personal, the way that they treat him. You know, Pat Buchanan is a cold warrior who goes back, was a speechwriter for Nixon and for Reagan, super patriot, cold warrior to this day. He says we never they never talked about the Russian premier like he was a damn dog the way that they do about Putin. They always treated him with respect on the basic level, on a diplomatic type level. The way that they talk about Putin, as uh, my friend Daryl Cooper says, they treat Russia like they're no more legitimate than the ISIS caliphate in Western. Right. Which is just a bin Ladenite pseudo terrorist state that lived only long enough to be destroyed right but we treat the russian federation like that's how much legitimacy they've got putin is abu Bakr al Baghdadi, right which you know who is of course america's creation not russians not russians they were the ones bombing them they they entered the war to stop isis from taking damascus in 2015 but anyway as far as putin's options that was what i was going to say too was you know, And I haven't thought hard enough about this. I really should talk with more experts about this and think hard myself about this. Maybe you and me spitballing back and forth here can, can come up with some better examples too. I know, I don't think I, I made up one of these, but I can't remember which one. So I'll give all the credit to Aaron Maté, I don't know. I heard him say, I'm pretty sure that one thing was they could have just cut off all the gas because you just said, they could have just said, oh yeah, how about this, hardball and just cut off all natural gas exports to Europe altogether. I'm say, how do you like that? It was still cold then last winter too. How do you like that? He could have said, I think maybe this is the one I made up. He could have just said, I'm going to veto everything on the UN Security Council and obstruct everything the international community is trying to do until you leave me alone on this. And that's it. I'm, not, I'm playing hardball on this issue, this issue, this issue, this issue before the UN that I know really matters to you. And he could have said... For example, one of his absolute main complaints was, and this wouldn't have taken care of NATO membership in the missiles or whatever, but it would have been a damn good start, would have been bring in so-called peacekeeping troops under mutual agreement here from a neutral country or a country that leans slightly pro-Russian that the Russians trust to stand on the border there, like, say, from India. And they don't have a dog in that fight between the ethnic Russians and the Donbass and other Ukrainians. Right. They'll just stand there in order to make sure that the ceasefire reigns, and nobody wants to shoot Indian troops standing in the middle. Right. And I'm just making that up. Pick your country. Right. Who's like a third country that doesn't have a direct conflict of interest in it and bring in peacekeepers and let them stand there. Right. Doesn't even have to be under the auspices of a UN mandate. Right. It could just be an agreed third country. And And who knows what kind of, you know, financial stuff that they could do that I don't know enough about. Obviously, energy is their strong suit. Sure. But, you know, I look what happened was they had reasonable demands and the Biden position was step one. You better not do it. And step two was if you do, we're going to arm this insurgency against you. It was not. okay. let's talk about these things. And the Russians proposed a new treaty, which you could say, okay, this goes a little too far on a couple areas. I don't know. It seemed pretty reasonable to me. But it was absolutely not crazy. It absolutely was. If the Americans were dealing in good faith, it absolutely was good enough to be the basis for some talks going forward. Right? The Americans just can't ever admit that any of this is ever their fault, that any of them ever overreached. And now look, the people that run the Biden government. They're the people who ran the Obama government. They know, they don't have to hear me tell them. They know that they did the coup of 2014. And that the war, that the Russian seizure of Crimea and that the war in the Donbass is a direct result of that. Now look, Tom, I mean, if you and I had done a coup and it led to a war, then like late on Thursday night when we're drinking, we might be able to admit to each other that like, okay, did we like kind of screw this up, <laughs> right? Come on, we, 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 we played a small part in screwing this up. Okay, we can blame Putin all we want, but geez, maybe, maybe we overreached a little bit when we hired those Nazis to overthrow the government for the second time in 10 years back in 2014. Things might've been a little bit less worse, right? These people can just never admit that this is their fault at all that there's anything for them to climb down from. You know, when Putin said in his demands, he said, I want all of American and NATO, Western European NATO forces pulled back to where they were in 1997. They treated that like it was absolutely insane. In fact, people listening in your audience right now might think that sounds pretty crazy. But you know what? That was Bill Clinton's sworn solemn oath in 1997 that, okay, listen, we are going to bring in Poland, Hungary, and Romania into the, and pardon me, and the the Czech, that's the missile systems, Hungary, Poland, and the Czech Republic into NATO. But we swear we'll never move equipment into those countries. (laughs) We're only just expanding the alliance. So this sounds to the Americans now, they're like, 1997 what is he talking about right that was back when the simpsons was still good right you know this is <laughs> ancient history right but but you know before the prequels came out but it, you know it's a perfectly reasonable request and it was supposedly meaningful back when bill clinton swore it, right then he uh listen i want you to get back in the inf treaty well what's the inf treaty Well, the INF Treaty was the greatest accomplishment of Ronald Reagan's life, according to Ronald Reagan, right? This is the treaty that kept all short and medium range missiles out of Europe. For oldsters listening, you might remember when Reagan came into power, maybe this was during Carter still, the Russians started building up medium range missiles in Europe. And Reagan said, oh, yeah, I can afford more medium range missiles than you. And I'm going to match you starting right now. And he started pouring in Pershings and then they developed the MX missile. Remember all that? It even had a spot in Superman 3, the MX missile, the Richard Pryor one. And anyway, so he started pouring those into Europe. And then he made a deal with Gorbachev. Let's get rid of all of them. And Gorbachev said, put her there, pal. And they got rid of every short and medium range missile Nuclear missile in Europe on both sides, the INF treaty, that mean the Intermediate Nuclear Forces Treaty of 1987, and they almost went further and negotiated an end to all long-range missiles too. In other words, all nuclear weapons on the planet. But they ended up that deal was scotched by dishonest brokers inside the Reagan government who talked him out of it, made him feel like he'd be breaking a promise to the American people. Who he had promised a laser system in space, the Star Wars missile defense umbrella, which of course was a total fantasy and could never have worked. And here we are 35 years later, it's still a total hoax, lasers in space and all this. And by the way, why do you need a missile shield if you just negotiated an end to all of the missiles? There's no more nukes to protect us from anymore. And anyway, and so, but anyway, the most important part is that this, this deal held and was this huge treaty, And then Donald Trump tore it up just a couple of years ago. And when Biden came into power, Putin said, first of all, let's save the New START treaty, which is the last treaty that limits long-range missiles and overall stockpiles of nuclear weapons. All those other treaties from Nixon through Reagan are all expired through Bush, through Clinton. All those are expired. The last one left is the New START treaty. He said, let's save New START. He said, let's go back in the INF treaty. And let's save the open skies treaty, which was Eisenhower's idea. Let's let unarmed planes from each other's air force fly over each other's countries so they can reassure themselves that the other side is not mobilizing for war. And that's better than flying blind is to go ahead and let them look at our bases. We don't care what the hell they let them look in awe of our number of bombers and, and tanks and how they don't want to mess with us. Right. But, but we're better off than them being paranoid and fearing that we're mobilizing for war if we're really not, and vice versa, too. Well, Donald Trump had let that expire, too. You know, Donald Trump, the root of all evil, according to the Democrats. So Biden comes in and Putin says, let's get back in all these treaties. And one thing Biden, to his credit, did save the the New START Treaty, the most important treaty on Earth, in fact. He did get back in that. Or, or he saved it. Trump had threatened to let it expire, too. It just wasn't expired yet. It, it was set to expire right after Inauguration Day. And Biden did save that, to his credit. But he let the INF Treaty expire. And he let the Open Skies Treaty expire. So this was one of Putin's demands last December. Get back in the INF Treaty. Which is just, a as Bush would say, a damn piece of paper. However, if you're swearing as a treaty under law that you will not put intermediate Range short or intermediate range missiles into Ukraine, then we might be able to talk. Right, as you said, that's a pretty big threat. If the Russians really believe we're going to station missiles in Kharkiv, which that was what Putin said in his declaration of war. He went through the times. He said if you put the what you call it missile in there, it's got a 20 minute flight time. If you put a Tomahawk missile in there, it's got a 15 minute flight time. He said if you put hypersonics in there, they could have as little as a five minute flight time to Moscow. And then he did the thing with his hand and said, "This is like a knife at our throat. This is absolutely an intolerable security situation." And look at how we reacted over the Cuban Missile Crisis. Now again, yeah. I'm not saying I really think that that Biden was going to put intermediate nuclear uh, intermediate-range nuclear missiles in Ukraine, but Putin was not crazy to think that this was a real risk and a real possibility. And in fact, let me just say real quick that Bush and Obama and Trump continued it, and it continues through Biden now, embarked on this program to put so-called anti-missile missiles, defensive missiles, in Romania and Poland, in order, as they said, to protect Europe from attack by Iran. Well, Iran doesn't have three-stage missiles or anything like the range to hit Europe at all. If anybody's questioning, you know, your your mental image in your mind's eye, go and Google it and look where Persia is and look where Poland is, okay? Poland ain't protecting Europe from Persia. They ain't coming, all right? And Iran ain't got the missiles and they don't have nuclear weapons either. That was always a hoax. And yet, as W. Bush has said numerous times, including recently to the Russian hoaxers who nailed them saying some incriminating things, he said, there's not enough of these missiles to shoot down an incoming barrage. I think he said that to the hoaxers. Sorry if I got my footnote wrong. He definitely said this anyway. There's not enough anti-missile missiles to shoot down an incoming Russian barrage. So the Russians are crazy to think this is about them. No, really, it's about Iran. Except I'm telling you, no, really, how could it possibly be about Iran? Iran might as well be armed with slingshots. They don't have missiles that can reach Europe and they don't have nuclear bombs. So what are we even talking about here? And then an obvious answer is that those anti-missile missiles are fired from the Mark 41 missile tube, missile launcher. And that Mark 41 missile launcher can also fit a Tomahawk cruise missile. And a Tomahawk cruise missile, although currently they supposedly are not armed with nukes, can be fitted with hydrogen bombs. And that was their original purpose, was as hydrogen bomb thermonuclear weapons delivery systems. And so we don't have an inspection system. It's not like the Russians get to stop by every few months to make sure that there are no Tomahawk missiles in those tubes. And so you could see from the Russian point of view, rather than giving us the benefit of the doubt, they might think, man, these Americans are really working on a first strike capability against us. They wanna be able to essentially sneak under the radar and break the INF treaty by putting these intermediate range missile launchers into Poland. And Romania, we already have here's a loophole. We already have them in the Baltic Sea right there anyway. And with the same kind of missile launchers there, you can see how this would be a very real threat from their point of view. And, you know, I have to say this is just true. It's not all malevolence, right? It's that the Americans, their mindset is whenever the Russians say that, hey, we have a security concern, the Americans say that's ridiculous, What are you talking about? We don't believe you that you have a security concern. Everybody knows that we are angels, that we would never hurt you. We would never attack you. We only ring your country with anti-missile missiles and (laughs) offensive missile dual use launchers and all these things out of love and security and spreading our security umbrella of protection and security around to everyone who wants in on it, except for you, Russia. But- Not that we're pointing it at you, a dagger at your throat. That's crazy. And, you know, I talked with Joe Cirincione, who is an anti-nuclear activist, but who runs around with the Democrats, is very like one of those guys you'd see on C-SPAN testifying before a congressional committee a lot and that kind of thing. And he told me that during Obama, he was on an advisory committee to the State Department where he told them, man, we ought to be listening up to the Russian security concerns here. They have a real reason to talk this way. If you just think about it from their point of view for a minute, et cetera, et cetera, like I would say maybe. And he was also witness. They first of all ignored him, but he was also witness to them telling the Russians when the Russians said, we're really concerned about this. They said to the Russians, that's ridiculous. And then to each other, they said, that's ridiculous in other words they just absolutely refuse to hear that anyone could possibly interpret them as an aggressor you know it's like me i bring me and my entire gang to your front lawn and i go tom we're just here to deter you from aggression pal you better not step out of line then we might have a problem but i'm the one in your yard and i brought all of my friends and my article five and all of this stuff you know Let's take
0: a short break for this important message. Friends, if you like to read books as much as I do, there comes a time when you realize you just won't ever find the time to read every book you're interested in. Well, I have great news Blinkist offers the key ideas from nonfiction bestsellers in as little as 15 minutes. For most books and their extensive library, you can choose to read or listen to Blinks, which summarize the main ideas and allow you to absorb whole books in the time it takes to run your daily errands or commute to work. Not only does Blinkist allow you to glean the information you need from books you don't have time to read, it helps you to decide which ones to spend time reading and get more details. You can try out Blinkist for free and get 20% off your first year by going to com slash Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. That's com slash Blinkist. Start your free trial and get 20% off today. And now let's get back to the show. How could I think love with a girl? Well, in answer to the, oh, it's just a ridiculous proposition that this is a threat to you, well, then sign the paper. I mean, that's the answer all the time. And the same thing with bringing Ukraine into NATO. There is no reason for Ukraine to be in NATO other than to fight against Russia. I mean, like I said, it's not Iran that they're worried about. It certainly isn't Poland that they're worried about. There's no reason to have them in NATO. We could argue there's no reason for NATO to exist on another day. But as you said, the demands were not unreasonable. And the other thing I would say is I was surprised that he actually did the invasion, but I expected this to happen at some point, unless the other side, the U.S. side became more reasonable. So I guess it was kind of inevitable.
1: Yeah, I was a bit embarrassed because I was thinking that they were just playing hardball and weren't really going to invade because it would be so costly. But then I'm the same guy who warned for 10 years before that, that they could invade if we keep pushing this So. I I only screwed it up right at the end.
0: Let me ask you this before we wrap up. If we got reason to prevail and there was some kind of negotiation, is there any way that Russia is back in the good graces of the the Holy Empire here? Or is that it for the rest of our lives, at least?
1: Man, I know that's the worst part of this, isn't it? Is even just looking to the medium term is... How do you ever climb down from this level of demonization in a way you could argue that this, you know, a, a portion of the policy now, and the problem now is because they could never back down from the heights of their Russiagate scam. Even after they had to not indict anyone for colluding with the Russians during the election or any of that stuff, cause it was all a hoax. They still had to keep that emotional level at that pitch that, you know, and, and honestly, man, here's your problem. And my problem is we're just not Democrat women that listen to NPR and are afraid of these things. And so maybe it's a little bit difficult for us to put ourselves in that mindset, but really think about it like that for a minute, right? That you're like a Ford Explorer driving NPR listening, single liberal woman, right? And, and you're terrified of Donald Trump and you, you understand him to be three or four clicks to the right of who he really is which is you know to the right of the average republican on most things right so if you're kind of a liberal type you might be a little shocked by that and then it turns and he he also has his very offensive ways if you choose to be offended rather than entertained by them as some (laughs) of us might be right but like you could understand how someone might be a little bit afraid of what he represented and the the change that he brought to American politics. If you already were sort of a center left type, right. But then imagine that they tell you and on TV, they tell you over and over people you believe told you over and over for years. Like this guy really is a white supremacist. If it was up to him, he would abolish the FBI and he would replace it with the Klan and they would just go around (laughs) killing everyone, doing whatever they wanted. like this guy, that level of fear, that level of kind of fever pitch, And the only reason this is happening is because Russia overthrew the election, prevented Hillary from taking her rightful throne and, and installed this maniac, fanatic, lunatic, crazy, flaky, weird fight starting men in our, in the chair of responsibility here. And, and, and it's the ultimate sabotage. I mean, if you think about like John Birch conspiracies about the communists taken over America then. And, and how terrified the right was that something like that could really happen. This guy Mondale is not just a liberal. He's going to hand over the keys to the entire kingdom, to the Reds, you know, this kind of thinking. They really believed that for years, for years. They were driven into this, this state of fear. It's pretty hard to come down from that and just go, actually, I was the idiot. And that was a giant hoax that the Democrats and the FBI and the CIA and the media perpetrated on us all just because Trump didn't work for them, not because he worked for Russia instead. And 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 so, oh, well, instead, like, what do they have to do, right? They had to pretend that the whole thing was still true anyway, that Putin is the most malevolent force on earth. He's out to get us all. He's not even content to build his empire. He's coming for us as soon as he can. I mean, I saw a thing in, in the American conservative where, Mitt Romney was saying, if the Russians use a nuke in Ukraine, we should use nukes on them. They're talking about that in the floor of the Senate right now. They're getting so carried away with these narratives. And then so, as you say, you know, I don't know, the Lukashenko in, in Belarus comes with a brilliant solution and everybody calls a ceasefire this afternoon. And now what? Right. We have a, we have a, a, even a real peace in Ukraine. Now, how are we going to deal with Russia ever again after this kind of thing? And I think it, what it would take is like a Ron Paul type figure, right? It would take someone... See, what, what we needed was Ron Paul and we got Donald Trump. He was a rogue, but he wasn't a rogue with the substance to know what to do and what to change and what, to, what policies to turn around and, and all of these things. He couldn't do it right. When they call him a pro-Russian traitor, he just poured arms into Ukraine. said, call me a pro-Russian traitor now. That was his son actually said that. Now they can't call us pro-Russian traitors. Look at all the arms we're pouring into Ukraine. Yeah, well, God dang it, Bobby. You know, it's not exactly right what we were going for here. But that's what we need is like a Ron Paul type figure to just say, listen, man, I mean this in all sincerity and no offense to anyone, but just so you understand the new policy. Screw W. Bush, Bill Clinton, and W. Bush, and Barack Obama, and Donald Trump, and Joe Biden, and their policies. This is a clean break, and I don't mean for the Likud. I mean for the american people the the previous policies of the 20th of the 21st century are all hereby canceled and we're starting fresh and we're starting with a decent respect for the rest of the nations of the earth peace commerce and honest friendship with the, all mankind and even we're inviting vladimir putin himself to washington dc to have a meet and see how we can you know by the way just before the war broke out America, Ukraine, and Russia all worked together to launch a satellite into space one week before the war broke out, right? It was a Ukrainian motor in a Russian rocket launching an American satellite. And I just read a thing yesterday, where two days ago, where America and Russia just signed a thing where they're going to use American rockets to launch Russians up to the space station. In other words, Sometimes, Tom, in fact, all day, every day on some planes, these are our friends. These are our partners, literally, as Vladimir Putin always has called us up until now anyway, our American partners. And, you know, obviously he's in a position of weakness compared to America. What choice does he have? But still, what choice is he ever going to have? Right. Russia has a GDP equal to Manhattan Island. We have a GDP equal to the United States of America. I think the rest of the country, including Manhattan Island, I don't think we need to worry about it that much. Uh, You know, we're, we're in a position to let bygones be bygones. We do business with the North Vietnamese, and they're still the same commie regime that beat America and humiliated us and drove us off of their shores where we belonged, off of them, not on. And so what? John McCain went over there and said, let's have a trade pact. And they said, all right. And they're capitalists and, you know, my, all of my suits that I wear to my libertarian speeches say made in Vietnam on them (laughs) now. So there's, you know, as Ron Paul said, Ron Paul said, we talked to Joe Stalin. We talked to Joe Stalin and we talked to Nikita Khrushchev. We talked to Mao Zedong. So don't tell me who we can't talk to. Don't tell me that, you know what, even James Baker said, well, talking is for your adversaries and your enemies, right? Otherwise... You just fight all the time. You know, it's not a controversy about whether we're going to talk to the Brits or not. But yes, we have to talk to the Russians and to the Chinese and to everybody. You know, doesn't mean we have to sell our souls to the Saudis. That's a different question.
0: Well, I think the important thing is having international relations with Russia, China, Iran doesn't mean that you're endorsing all of their internal policies. It just means that, There's only so much you can do. You have to be realistic. And it's better for Iran to be an authoritarian country with good relations with the rest of the world than it is for Iran to be an authoritarian country. And we're at war with them. That just seems
1: obvious and logical, except to a politician. Right. And look, just because Americans like Jesus and Superman, it doesn't mean that our nation state is Jesus or Superman. It's just not. (laughs) It's a whole different thing. And people got to learn how to discriminate between these concepts. You know, we all got the original sin, according to Christianity. We're not the sinless one. We're the rest of them. Right. We don't get to decide for everybody else. And as far as Superman, as you know, that's a comic book. And Christopher Reeve, Mr. Boy Scout, Superman, Mr. Totally Virginal, Saintly, you know, Jesus figure, Superman, the real Christopher Reeve fell off a horse and broke his neck. The whole thing was just pretend, never existed. And then look at the actual reality of America's interventions in the world. And they go, you know, they say we keep the peace, except in Korea and Vietnam, where we killed something like seven or eight million people, right? In Indonesia, where we helped the government there kill a million East Timorese or half a million or more help oppress the people of West Papua to this day, help the Pakistanis massacre the Bangladeshis. That was Richard Nixon. That was a big one. Look at how we help the Israelis keep their boot on the neck of the Palestinians and off and on the Lebanese. The Lebanese for a generation, the Palestinians for four now, a million dead, maybe two, in the wars in Afghanistan, Iraq, Somalia, Libya, Syria, Yemen. There's no record that compares to this in the 21st century, anything like it. The Americans, you know, the leaders of Murder Incorporated to go around lording their morality against everyone else is just preposterous. It's just absolutely amazing, especially somebody like Joe Biden, who was George W. Bush's handmaiden, protecting him from his left flank in lying us into war in Iraq War II back 20 years ago today, right? My God, I can't even believe it's been that long. And then and then him and Obama did us the same way in doubling, tripling the Afghan war and then launching the regime change and a half in Libya and Syria that led to the caliphate in Iraq war three. And of course, the genocide in Yemen.
0: Yeah, maybe there is some room for us to admit we're not always right.
1: (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Maybe just a little room. (laughs) Isn't it funny how, you know, everybody knows that, for example, Well, pick your least favorite president out of Bill Clinton, W. Bush, Barack Obama, Donald Trump, whichever one that you hate the most. But whatever it is he's doing is something that you just can't believe in. You just can't believe in it. Right. Remember when Barack Obama wanted to go to war in Syria and 100 percent unanimous, the American right was like, no, we're not falling Barack commander in chief Obama into a war, another war in Syria in the name of we love them so much or something like that. Forget it. No, they said. they know better. They have, the, they should have known better all along, but they know better by now. And, and yet somehow it's still the right thing to sign your son up for the Marine Corps. It's still the right thing. If, if your dad and your granddad and your great granddad all served in the military, well, we're just a military family and we just sign up. Or if you need money for college, well, I guess I'll just join the army or maybe you just, really, you know, believe in the the commercial said, if you join the Marine Corps, you get to wear these fancy white slacks and dance around with a sword all day. Or, you know, if you join the army, they'll make a man out of you. You come home and and greet your dad and you'll be two inches taller. And finally a real man, like an army be all you can be, like in the commercial, right? All of that stuff is all still true. Even though we know that we just spent 20 years killing a million or two people for no good reason. Even though we know that there's 30,000 American veterans of these wars who have killed themselves since they got home and that there's another 30, 40, 50,000 of them wounded, another 30, 40,000 of them sleeping on the streets. Right. Army, be all you can be. Army, get yourself betrayed by Uncle Sam, who doesn't give a damn about you. And everyone knows it. And yet it's like what? That's like the right half of your brain that knows all those things I just said. But the left half of your brain goes. Yeah, when you get out of high school, one of your very good choices you might choose might be to go and join the army. And it's a perfectly legitimate thing to do. It's a perfectly smart thing to do. Your father and your gym coach and your minister and everyone agrees this is your next step in life, Junior, is to go do the thing that we all know means that you might shoot yourself in the mouth before your 25th birthday. And we all know that every one of your presidents are the scum of the earth. None of them any better than Bill Clinton. None of them that you couldn't believe for a minute. They're going to you're going to let them send your son off to war to participate in this thing. It's a proud tradition based on what what's the last American war we can be proud of.
0: Yeah, it's a theme that has been on this show as well, and it's not popular with a lot of people, but. I think we really have to start asking the question, what excuse is there for joining at this point? I mean, I could see if it was 1989 and since Vietnam, there was kind of this, well, we shouldn't go into another war, but once the Gulf War started and once the Middle East policy started, and then after 20 years in Iraq and Afghanistan and all those countries you named Libya, Syria, Somalia, you know what they're going to do. If you join up, you know what you're going to be ordered to do. You can't say, oh, I signed up to defend the Constitution, and then they sent me to this war that I totally disagree with. No, you knew they were going to do that, or you should have known when you signed up. I don't know if that's too unpatriotic to say, but there it is.
1: Look, I mean, the deal is, I mean, I'll cut them a little more slack than that, which you might agree that, I mean, first of all, we're talking mostly about high school kids. Who, yeah, that is a valid point. Where it's If they have men in their lives, it's their responsibility, really. But also it is, you've got to admit, I mean, I grew up this way, we all grew up this way, that there's just, as I was just saying here, trying to find the right words for it, right? There's this severe cognitive dissonance between, you know, that Bill Clinton or Barack Obama or Joe Biden is your commander in chief and that they might send you on a mission in a country where you really don't belong. And that you might come home all wrecked, like the guy that you see on the side of the road, and all those things are true, and yet, instead, somehow, in full, like Orwellian doublethink, all those things on the TV commercials are also true. This is a great way to go to college. This is a great way to earn respect. This is a great way for a boy to finish growing up all the way and become a man. This is a great way to participate in the proud heritage of valor and glory and honor to the shores of Tripoli and all of these things. Right. And so then it's like, which of these narratives do you go with? It's one or the other. Right. And and you can see how the latter narrative there of just aim high Air Force, be all you can be in the Army, dance around with a sword in the Marine Corps and all of this stuff is just rings louder then what, like a, what did I just say? A bunch of hippie crap about these wars that, what the kinds of things that un-American people and socialists and people like that say that you just ignore and write off. But my dad, my gym coach and my minister and everyone in the neighborhood agrees. This is the right next step for me. I made it all the way to Eagle Eagle Scout. Now I'm gonna see if I can become an army ranger, right? That's the thinking. It has nothing to do with where you're going which war you're going to or whether you belong there. And in fact, once you sign up, especially that reinforces the whole idea that yours is not to decide which are the just wars or not. Your job is to do a really good job keeping the other boys on your team alive. You guys go out there wherever we send you and you try to protect each other's back out there. That's the mission. And that's the way the military frames it. They keep the same group of six or eight, 10 guys together for years right? And it doesn't matter what country you drop them into the middle of the team is we all come home. That's it. And the, the mission is we all come home, the whole team, that kind of deal. And so, you, you know, you got to admit there's a, there's a level of BS around American militarism that is, you know, almost unparalleled on any other subject. Right. And so, you know, I, I, I'm pretty forgiving about the people who sign up but I think there definitely comes an age where, you know, it ought to occur to you that something is wrong here, you know? And and honestly, I, I'll say one more thing too is, Tom, I, I had a real advantage when I was a kid. I just got lucky, like, in a horrible negative way. I saw Vietnam veterans all over. The only people I saw on the side of the road begging for change were Vietnam veterans when I was a kid. All oh, I'm still wearing their army green flak jacket, you know? That was how I grew up. And the And the first, I don't know, Ten people I ever met who'd ever been in the army told me the army was my enemy, that they lie about everything, that it's the most corrupt institution in the world. It's, you know, equivalent to Lucifer. And don't you ever believe them. And don't you ever go along with what they say about this, that or the other thing. And, of course, even all the movies of the 80s were all Hamburger Hill and Platoon and guys who learned the hard way in Vietnam that this isn't funny and you, you cannot trust them. They don't care about you. All the messages of those movies of that era, that kind of thing you know, was, you know, lucky circumstance for me, essentially, that I just had all of these great anti-war influences before anyone. And I did watch football. I did watch all the AIM High Air Force and BLU can be commercials when I was a kid, too. I was inundated with all of that stuff, too. And and Vietnam was about being brave. It wasn't about who's the v- who's the VC and why are we shooting them, right? It was all just about, like, whether you're going to be an honorable man in the field with your with your guys. That was the way they spun a lot of that. But I think I also was inoculated by a lot of really quality and really first as I say first person anti-war stuff people who've been in the army who were like only had words of caution and disbelief you know that kind of thing you know cynical take if in the right use of that term I I think I used it right in that
0: yeah, yeah I was going to say that you make a good point it's really parents that can make a difference here. And I I was thinking of the movie Legends of the Fall. I had also read the short story it's based on, and I can't remember if the same sentiment is in the story, but the Anthony Hopkins character is telling his sons, yeah, yeah, I've been there. It's all BS. No, no, I don't want to hear any more about going to war in this household, you know? So that that to me really is the hard position to take. It's easy to go along with the propaganda and be proud and look at my son and da 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 or daughter. But we've got to we've got to start convincing our children that this this empire is up to no good and get, getting yourself in a position where you have no choice. You will be ordered to do things that right now you would never want to do. That's, you know, that's the reality of joining the military. I was going to mention too, when you were telling the the story about being young, I actually had a POW bracelet. I don't know if you remember those. I I don't know if you're a little younger than me or not, but they had uh, bracelets for POWs and the guy I had the bracelet of actually escaped and then they got him back, but he eventually got sent home and he, I wrote to him and he wrote me back so i i started out like that but i almost joined when i was in my early 20s and the reason i didn't was because you couldn't go in for like two years you'd have to go in for four or seven or whatever and, you know, I wanted to be a rock and roll star back then. So I thought, well, I'll be too old when I get out. So, you know, it is powerful. And I was always anti-war and I uh, i don't know. So,
1: yeah, they make it seem like it's all okay anyway. And by the way, I should just say for people who are listening to this, somehow they hate my guts and they're still listening anyway. That You know, I'm proud of the fact that a great portion, I don't know what percentage, but a, a huge number of veterans make up my audience, a, a huge part of my audience. And I hear from them all the time. And I travel around giving speeches everywhere. And I admit that you know people who come to my speeches tend to like wanna hear what I have to say or whatever. It's not a scientific sample, but I'm yet to meet a veteran who would say to me, F you Horton, you don't know what you're talking about with all this anti-war stuff. It's really like this, it's really like that. That doesn't happen. It just hasn't happened yet. And I met hundreds of guys, especially you know the Libertarian Party, Mises Caucus, has had me traveling around the country for the last two three years giving speeches to all these groups and i've just met all of these guys and they're like hey man i was a marine here there the other place and i'm like okay i wonder what he's gonna say and then like ah oh, thank you so much for this and that and the thing you know Because I'm just telling them the truth. It's the same thing with Ron Paul. Remember how surprised people were that Ron Paul was the anti-war Republican and he had more donations and more support from the military than anybody else. And why? It's because he was talking about peace and the Constitution, right? He wasn't Jane Fonda. He wasn't Michael Moore. He wasn't asking the military to move left. He was just saying, this war is BS and you're a fool if you believe in it. You don't need to believe in this. And they were like, great. That's all I needed was a guy with an R after his name to tell me I don't have to believe in this crap anymore. And it's dropped. Forget it. It's all obviously a hoax, but they couldn't, nobody wants to be Jane Fonda. Oh man, if I can be anti-war and just be Ron Paul, no problem. You know? So that's the thing. I mean, I'm not a leftist, so I don't talk like a leftist. I I don't think anybody who listened to me carefully would confuse me for a leftist. We just got to understand it. This is all BS. We're not supposed to be doing this. America's supposed to be a humble, little, commercial, limited constitutional republic, not a world empire with a body count rivaling Hitler's. This is not right. And everybody, yes, Bill Hicks would say, in your heart, you all know the arguments anyway. No matter whether you're left, right, or where you are in the spectrum, you know that it's not supposed to be this way.
0: And if you're a patriotic founding fathers person, don't forget the first three presidents, Washington, Adams, and Jefferson went to great lengths to stay out of war, sometimes doing things that may not have been all that wise, like the embargo acts, but Adams surrendered a a second term pretty much to keep us out of war with France. And Jefferson had his embargo acts to try to keep us out of war. And also the Jay Treaty was all about that as well. So it wasn't like these people that a lot of far-right conservatives venerate were
1: warlike. They were very much anti-war. Yeah. And I think there's two competing experts on Fox News for prominence there. The first one was General Jack Keene who very brilliantly said we should invade Iraq and do the surge and do the Afghan surge and pick a fight with Russia and every horrible thing. And then there's Colonel Douglas McGregor, who is the great hero of the tank battle of Iraq War I and was formerly the commanding officer of later Gen H.R. McMaster and who is a regular guest on the Tucker Carlson show and constantly urges caution and I believe, many people believe, talked Donald Trump out of attacking Iran at one point on the Tucker Carlson show, it was actually really heroic. I don't know if you saw this, but he was, well, Tucker, let me tell you. And then he's not talking to Tucker. He is <laughs> talking directly to the president of the United States, you know? And he goes, listen, the Vietnam War destroyed Lyndon Johnson's presidency. The Iraq War destroyed W. Bush's presidency. And I know this president is too smart to let a war <laughs> with Iran destroy his presidency. Don't do it, Mr. President. Don't you listen to those hawks. And like, oh, man. And but the thing is, like, this is the toughest SOB on the East Coast. So you tell him he's a big wimp for, right? You know what I mean? He is. if, If anyone is in a position to tell you that violence isn't necessary, he's the guy. He's the toughest guy for 300 miles in a circumference at any given time. And so if he says we don't have to do this, then we just don't. Right. And then and I'm proud to say he endorsed both of my books too: the war in Afghanistan and the war on terrorism, too.
0: Excellent. Well, why don't we leave it there? I, as usual, you've come on. I said 30 minutes and I've kept you an hour at least. Well, I had a lot of fun. I'm glad you stayed. <laughs> yeah. And uh, let's hope we get some kind of reason prevailing in Ukraine and in Europe. I hope you're right about Germany. Uh, sounds plausible. And uh, maybe you could stop back in a little while and, and update us on what's going on.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Happy to. And everyone just keep your eyes on antiwar.com. We've got Dave DeCamp and all the guys holding down the news for you all day, every day there.
0: We'll do We'll link to that, of course, on the show notes page. Thanks again, Scott. Thank you, Tom. All right, friends. That's going to do it for today. Just a few reminders to stop by tom dot com slash support and check out all the ways that you can support my efforts here, including joining my Patreon or my sub stack and If you haven't already, make sure that you go to it's stupid dot com to download a copy of my free ebook, It's the Fed Stupid. And as always, if you like the music you've heard here on Tom Mullen Talks Freedom, you can hear more at tommullen-sings.com. Thanks for listening.
1: The war of ideas has only just begun. Arm yourself with the knowledge you need by heading to TalksFreedom.com and subscribing to our email list. And remember, every revolution starts in the minds of the people.